Welcome to Let's Get Metaphysical, the show that stretches you beyond your five senses. When you are looking for your next step on the path into the unseen, we've got you covered. Join epic adventure seekers and level up your game with your host, reality magician, Allie Bierman. Greetings, epic adventure seekers. Welcome to your guide to demystifying your world. I'm Allie Bierman, and you're listening to Let's Get Metaphysical, connecting heart and mind. If you have not yet done so, please rate and review our podcast so others can find it. Yours may be the review of the week, shared right here. Right now, here's the review of the week. Hippie Chick Barbie 70 wrote, Lighting up the world. Ali's podcast is so needed today as our world is shifting and more and more people are waking up to their spiritual nature. Topics are super relevant and presented in a wonderfully engaging way while also offering practical information that's relatable and easy to understand. Allie is a gem. Highly recommend you follow her. Thank you, Heavy Chick Barbie 70. My goal is always connecting the practical side of life with a spiritual underpinning. Today's guest, Justin Pogue, shines in a critical space all about home rentals. I feel super excited to share his unique expertise. Before I jump in, let's take a minute to tell you about the special gift I made just for you. Seriously, I really did create this guide for you, my epic adventure seeker, as you dive into new realms, opening your life to new and different experiences. If you think life just happens to you, that you have no say in the matter, then now is the time to discover your true power and your control every day in your life. If you continue walking the same path you've always walked, guess what? You'll keep arriving at the same old destination. It's time to forge a new path, to go places you've never been, and to explore a world you've yet to know. My guide, Step in a New Direction, gently grants you a new passage in life. The link to download your copy is in the show notes. Justin Pogue is a CEO and founder of Rental Secrets, as well as an award-winning author and real estate consultant. His book and company of the same name, Rental Secrets, creates a new paradigm that truly makes a difference for both renters and landlords. He teaches renters how landlords think so they get the most for their rental dollar while showing landlords that renters are more than just a monthly rent check. By showing how to win in the residential rental market, he's improving our national housing conversation, something so desperately needed, especially in these times. Justin holds a degree in economics from the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania, as well as an MBA from the Darden School at the University of Virginia. The man knows his stuff, and more importantly, he understands people and relationships through a unique perspective. He's been featured across media, including Fox News, the Mercury News, SFGate, Realtor.com, and ApartmentTherapy.com. I feel privileged to be part of a group with him, so I get to experience his energy that frankly exudes. I know what I'm doing, and I know how to help you. Welcome, my friend and colleague, Justin Poe. Thanks, Ali. It's great to be here. So excited. I, I have so much, so much to ask you. You are 
just so cool and so brilliant. So many, many people talk about their very painful experiences in childhood that led them to the careers they have today. So I was very touched by the wisdom you discovered at what I consider to be a pretty young age. And I wondered if you'd share with us a story about your white Datsun and the orange door and how that impacted your life view. Yes, yes. So uh, very early on, this was about second grade. So I was about the age of seven. Um, my parents decided to enroll me in a in a local private school in, in California. And the uh, and as you can imagine, at private school, most of the students were you know, dropped off in the luxury vehicles of the day, you know, the Mercedes, the Porsches, the whatevers. Um, I, however, was not. I was dropped off in a white 1977 Datsun B210. And for those of you who don't know what that is, it is about as far from a luxury vehicle as you can possibly get. Very focused on fuel efficiency. And that... You know, having that experience, it, it it was an indication to me that there was a difference between me and these other and these other students, and that sometimes that resulted in some some jokes at my expense and and what have you. But it was it was a bit embarrassing. It made me, in some ways, it made me feel a little less than the other students. Even though the choice of the car had nothing to do with me, I wasn't even involved in that. But then. One day, their their car was actually in an accident, and the the driver's side door was damaged. So my parents, being the frugal people they were, went down to the junkyard, and they found another door for the car. Unfortunately for me and from my perspective, the new door that they found happened to be bright red-orange, which made the car stand out even more in all the wrong ways, um, in my mind, as far as I was concerned. And it was almost like, what, what are you doing to my life? Did you even think about how this door would impact me and my social standing in this school? Of course, that was not a consideration of theirs at all. But eventually I came to realize that the door didn't really matter. The car didn't really matter. What mattered was... I was getting the experience and the education that I needed to move forward in my life. So what ultimately happened was I, that I, I came to that conclusion and we continued driving that car to that school and we parked it right up there next to everybody else's cars because we had just as much right to be there as they did. But you know, realizing that the, the vehicle doesn't really matter, it's not what's important where you're going, the destination that you're choosing, that's the thing that's most important. That's that's so extraordinary for a child to come to that conclusion. I would say you weren't your average everyday kid. Well, that can, I would not have been able to phrase that conclusion in that way mm-hmm. at that time. But looking back on it, that's what I that's what I took from from that experience. And you know, and also more to the point, a lot of those students that were claiming that they were better than, you know, others because of whatever they were being dropped off at school in, they weren't involved in the purchase of that vehicle either. They didn't provide any money to help, <laughs> help find that vehicle. I mean, that it doesn't belong to them. It belongs to someone else. So actually, now that I'm thinking about it, another interesting insight is 
you should base your self, your impression of self-worth on what you do, what you're capable of doing, what your skills are, not what other people might be doing or other people might be doing for you. That's amazing. I, I hope you Epic Adventure Seekers are listening to this incredible message. And further on in your school career, you had a really interesting English teacher. Would you please share with us about Mrs. Harp? Oh, Mrs. Harp. Mrs. Harp was a, I believe it was a fifth, it was fifth, fifth grade English, I believe it was. Um, And she was tasked with teaching all of us about the works of William Shakespeare. And in third and fourth grade, you heard stories about Mrs. Harp and how difficult her English classes were and how much of a taskmaster she was and all of that. Well, when I got into her class, she was, in fact, going to teach us about Shakespeare. But what she required us to do for homework was not just read the book, not just understand the book. No, you actually had to write in the margin, translating old English of Shakespeare into modern English. So she was sure you understood what you actually read. And I think even to this day, that's not a very common, not a very common practice. Um, and for a fifth grader, it's rather intimidating to be translating, to be translating this language that, yeah, it kind of looks like English, but it, it, it it's perceived as a foreign language um, from a fifth grader's perspective, most definitely. But she had faith and confidence that we could actually do this work and translate this this foreign language. Um, more faith in more faith in my ability to do that than I did at the time, quite frankly. But it was a, it was a really profound experience because as I move forward in in life, you'll find that every profession has its own language. And yes, the basis of it is English, but it's essentially a foreign language. And having been involved in real estate, there's a number of different industries that are in and around real estate profession. And you got to learn all those different languages and you got to have faith in your ability to learn all of those different languages so you can interact with, you can interact properly with the professionals that you need to be working with. And that was Mrs. Harp's gift to me is the a faith and ability, the faith in my own abilities to dive in and understand what may essentially appear to be foreign languages um, and and to gain a grasp of those so I can do what I need to do going forward. That's, that's just incredible. I belong to a Shakespeare group. Of course, I'm an adult. And guess what? You don't just read the play, you read the translation. So there are a few words of the actual play, and there could be a whole page translating it into modern English. I wonder mm-hmm. how many of Mrs. Harp's students do that professionally. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you, continuing along the lines of your education, you mentioned that you perceived or observed two types of students in graduate school. I had never thought about this before. Could you please share what you were telling me earlier? 
Yeah. So in, when I was in graduate school getting my MBA, the University of Virginia uses what they call the case method, where you kind of they give you a situation, you study the situation before the night before class, and then class starts with basically start you start answering questions about this particular case, and you kind of work through it. Well, the professor will be up in the front of the room and he'll ask the class a question. And there are basically two types of people in the room. And the first type of people will, as the professor is asking his question, they are in the process of raising their hand. They haven't waited for the actual question to be asked yet. They're listening as the question is being asked, formulating their answer as their hand is going up. So that's one type of person. The other type of person will wait for the whole question to be asked, reflect on the question that was asked, and then raise their hand. So for them, responding to the question is a slower process. But if the professor always asks on the people who raise their, who raise their hand first, the wisdom of that second group will be left out of the conversation. And the first group, they don't really know what their answer is going to be when they raise their hand. They are formulating it in that in that moment. But yeah, so it's so when interacting with other people, it's really important to allow that time for people to absorb the conversation, the question that's being asked, and then give them a chance to respond. And it's actually interesting. It's the first group is reacting. They're having a reaction to the fact that question is being asked. The second group is responding. And those are two different activities that are going on. And those are two different ways that people approach normal conversation, that there are the people who are already know what they want to say and they're waiting for you to take a breath so they can jump in and it might be relevant, it might not. And then there are the people who care about what you're saying, they're listening, and they're actually going to respond to what you're saying. That's that's very profound. I, I want to pursue that a little bit more. First, I have a quick sponsor break. Affirmations work 100% of the time. If yours don't produce your desired results, it's time to discover what others do not tell you about how and what to say. And the secret no one shares that leaves you thinking affirmations do not work for you. Head over to let's get metaphysicalpodcast.com forward slash affirmations for my special offer, Alley on Goals and Affirmation. And the link is in the show notes. What you were saying before is basically that every profession has its jargon. And I know my daughter's an actress, my son's a musician, and man, they definitely have their jargons. And I don't even know who they're talking about because I don't know the people in their fields and uh-huh. what they're saying in terms of all the, the techniques or the directions and all. That's, well, yes. <laughs> so <laughs> the fact that you take the whole field of housing and you're very clear about what the different definitions, what the different terms are. And you explain in a way that other people who would never think about all this can understand. Yeah, it's really it's really important to me that people actually understand what is going on. Because like so you go to college or you go to high school and you graduate and they give you this lovely embossed piece of paper with your name on it and wish you well and send you on your way. 
there's a whole heap of practical stuff that they left out that you need in the world to be a functional adult. Just as a case in point, one of the properties that we had, we were renting, we were renting to students and one of these students came to pay his rent. He brought me a blank check signed by his mother. That is, I mean, there, there's almost nothing worse you could do from a financial standpoint than hand someone a blank check. I don't care who it is. <laughs> and I really had to take the student, sit down with him and explain why this was such a bad thing. Like your family could be broke because you handed me a blank check. But that's the level of lack of financial literacy that actually is going on out there in the real world. And it's not just related to housing and renting. It's related to saving, investing, banking, all of that. So my plan is to let's start with people where they're at, because most people, when they start to become an adult, they're renting. So let's talk about this from the standpoint of something that people know impacts them and people are interested in having a conversation about. And then from that, hopefully we will grow their educational experience into these other areas over time. You had had some really interesting experiences early on, I think in your career as a landlord. And there was a really, what I would think of as a very daunting situation involving a flood. Could you briefly share with us where did you get the confidence to uncover the steps that you needed to take? Because you needed to take them right away for your renters mm-hmm. and your own well-being. How did you have the clear the clarity to be able to do that? Where did that come from? I think a lot of it just boils down to necessity is the mother of invention. So this particular building was a 32-unit apartment building. We had torrential rainstorms. The storm drainage canal behind the building got backed up, and that then flooded the whole the first floor of both buildings on the property. Now, against that backdrop, we have mortgage payments that we have to make, and I need the rental income from the people on the first floor in order to make that payment. Well, if their apartments are flooded, they are not going to pay rent. And rightly so. Like, I'm not providing the service that I that I had promised because of, well, whatever reason. It just happened to be a flood in this case. So it wasn't only their living situation that was at stake. It was the future viability of the entire project that was at stake. And at that point in time... This property was probably, I'd say, three quarters of the real estate that we had invested in at that point in time. I mean, my parents had put in most of their life savings into it. Like, there was a lot of things going on behind the scenes that added pressure and necessity to resolving this situation. And then the what also added some pressure was I called a disaster recovery company. And they said, yeah, sure, great. We can come out there. It will cost $2,000 per apartment for us to tear everything out and sanitize. 
and I had 16 apartments. So that was 32 grand um, to get back 16 empty boxes that I then had to fill back with cabinetry and appliances and carpet and all of this other stuff. So the 32,000 was just the beginning of the cost if I had gone that route. So it really pushed me to find an alternate path and start asking questions, which is, which is a really useful skill, just asking questions. And that led me to connect with, with the folks who were cleaning, who were, who are, who were our carpet cleaners because they had water extraction equipment because carpet is really heavy when it's wet. (laughs) So if you can get the water out, it makes your life a lot easier, but they had had some experience with, flood recovery and water extraction and all of that. So they were very, they were very helpful. And then, and then just the internet was a a treasure trove of information. As long as you know what you're asking for Mm -hmm. specifically. And that provided me some answers about what I needed to know. And so I'm cobbling together all of these little different sources of information to come up with a solution for, you know, for, for the problem. But at first it was really daunting, especially when the water is still coming. So I'm standing on the second floor, which was where our office is. And I'm looking down and I'm watching the water rise. Like that is like the most hopeless (laughs) feeling (laughs) But yeah, so that there was a lot of there were a lot of other things going on behind the scenes that were pushing that necessity button to figure this out and, and find a solution as quickly as possible. I love that you made a point of ask questions. Everything in life really is about knowing which questions to ask and who to ask them of. Yeah. Yeah. So you had another very interesting experience. I mean, businesses always talk about going the extra mile. For most businesses, those are just words. But you had an interesting time with a jackhammer. I can't even (laughs) fathom knowing what to do about that. I think our listeners would really want to sit up and take notice of this. So with that, with that situation, we had had we had received some water bills that were incredibly high, like three times what they normally should be. And then we had one month where it dropped back down to almost normal, and then another month where it jumps back up. And I'm trying to figure out where this extra expense is coming. Like, where is it? What's causing it? And like, we, we tested like all the, all the toilets in the apartment and the apartments, everything was fine. Nothing was leaking, blah, blah, blah. And then one day, one of my residents calls me and says, well, there's water bubbling up in the parking lot. So I'm like, okay, so that's where the problem is. So I call the plumber they come out and we, we kind of assess the situation and the plumber says, okay, well, it'll cost you about $6,300 to, to repair this. And when he broke down his estimate, it was $300 to repair the pipe. And the rest of the cost was in the digging to find the, where the actual leak in the pipe was and getting down to it. And I'm like, that's six grand is a lot of money just to move some dirt. Like, I think I can do this myself. 
So that was when I decided to go and rent a jackhammer for $50 and use it on my parking lot. And, and it, I mean, and it was a really interesting, like I had never been on a jackhammer before. Like I didn't even know how heavy a jackhammer was until I rented it. <laughs> I, I was just going to like toss this in the back of a truck. No, like I needed like two or three guys from the rental company to help me put it on the truck. Um, but yeah, so the the city came out and marked where all the underground pipes and all that stuff was. Um, so we didn't hit anything important when we started when we started digging. And unfortunately, there were two things that I really didn't factor into my thinking. The first thing was that our water main was no, normally they're buried two feet deep. But our water main was buried three feet deep to avoid some of the other pipes that were going on in, 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 in the area around it. The second thing I did not factor in is that, then I should have in hindsight, but this is a leaking pipe, which means water is coming out of the pipe. The pipe is surrounded by dirt. Water and dirt result in mud. <laughs> <laughs> So after using the jackhammer to get through the asphalt, now we're digging through mud. And that extra foot may not sound like much. It's only 12 little inches, but 12 little inches digging through mud is a whole different <laughs> um, kind of experience. But yeah, so we did, I did eventually get down to that pipe, found the leak, paid the plumber $300 to, uh, to fix it. But, you know, it's it spent me, it cost me a day to basically do that. But, you know, six grand in a day is not necessarily a bad, a bad return on your time. But yeah, it's, it's, and part of it was, it was important to me as a, as an owner of property to understand what you know what repairs were needed what the processes involved are how thing how things in and around the property worked and that was important to me from the beginning rather than just pushing off that responsibility onto some property management company or, or something like that because I didn't want my property to be a black box I wanted it to be something that I had transparency into what it was how it worked what the procedures were how things were supposed to be going. Um, but yeah, that was, that's certainly the jackhammer experience is something that most landlords don't, don't engage in, in personally. But again, part of that was that necessity because that, that six grand to the plumber was six grand out of my pocket and out of my parents' pocket. So I hope those of you out there like me have invested in real estate investing are hearing that there are a whole bunch of things you need to know and understand before you go out there and become a landlord. And I know that we're going to talk about in a few minutes the webinar that you're putting together now. But there was one quote I saw that you made that I thought was extraordinarily powerful. You said, nothing changes until you make the sale. Now, most people think, but I'm not a salesman. I'm not 
trying to get rid of merchandise or products. And, well, I'm a grandma, okay? And I know when my grandson wants another orange, my grandson loves oranges and he'll ask for orange after orange. Or my granddaughter, you know, they'll look at you with puppy dog eyes and a soft little voice and say, just one more bedtime story. Those are all sales that are happening. <laughs> I thought that was an extraordinarily powerful quote that people can pay attention to because sales happen to us everywhere in our lives and it doesn't have to do with an exchange of money necessarily. No, that's absolutely, absolutely correct. And people don't think of it that way because sales typically has this very negative connotation. You're trying to get somebody to do something. That And the implication is that they don't actually want to do it. But it's important to remember that you're, you're presenting people options. You're presenting people possibilities. And there are options and possibilities that that person may have never actually considered and may actually be meaningful in their life. But if you don't actually present it, they never get that opportunity. And both of you are worse off for it. Yes, and I know that you had mentioned to me earlier today that you don't have to buy and rent property to be able to invest in real estate. One of the many things that people will learn by following you, by reading your book, by attending your webinar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there. so examples of that are you could actually loan money to other people who are interested in investing in real estate. You could participate in what's called a a syndicate where there is a general partner who handles all the management, property management, maintenance, and all of that. And you're investing with a group of people into a particular, into a particular property. So you get to tap into the experience of that general partner so you're not out there buying this property alone, trying to figure everything out on your own. So there are so there are several different ways to to do it. And the trick is to find the way that works best for you and your comfort level and your you know tolerance for you know using a jackhammer. <laughs> <laughs> What is the best way for people to follow you, to get in touch with you? Yeah, so absolutely. There's a We have a website, rentalsecrets.net, um, where we post a lot of information and links to interviews and all of that. Um, they can also reach me at justin at rentalsecrets.net if they have questions about previous interviews or the book or, or what have you. Um, but I also recommend people follow me on social media, um, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and and Twitter, because what I'm doing there is every day I'm posting a tip for renters and, and landlords alike. And it's a, it's a, you know, just to kind of start people thinking along the lines of, uh, you know, this renter landlord conversation doesn't have to be as adversarial as it, as it tends to be in the in the media and on television. Well, I guess you just left us. I was going to ask, do you have an important message to leave? And I think what you just said pretty well sums it up. Um, it's, I mean, I don't think people really understand how detrimental and harmful this landlord-renter animosity is. 
it really it scare it scares renters from negotiating with landlords. For on the landlord side, it unfortunately results in a lot of bad public policy um, because people don't understand what the process is and what what what's going on from from their perspective. And because when you when you treat someone else like the enemy. You don't want to. You're not. You're not trying to understand them. It just puts you in a mindset of this. Whatever this person is saying is not is not going to be in my best interest, regardless of what it is. And ultimately, renters and landlords need each other because renters are not going to go out there and build their own properties, and landlords are not living in their properties. They're building them for renters. So both sides really do need each other, and they will. And we served better if they actually work together. As with everything, relationships are everything. They always matter. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank you so much. And thank you for the work you're doing, changing lives and changing the whole dynamic of housing today. Because, man, it definitely needs to change. So remember, everybody, join our Facebook group where you can ask questions and meet other epic adventure seekers all the links mentioned today are in the show note and i thank you for being with us today and we will see you next time when i talk about spirit what is spirit what's it all about a little bit different take than last time You've been listening to a talk on the wilder side. Thanks for tuning in to Let's Get Metaphysical. Be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review and be sure to share it with your friends. Tune in every Monday for more exciting insights and wisdom on life beyond your five senses. Until next time, take a small step in a new direction. Start now. Start now.